Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries podcast. It's great to have you with us today. This is your host, John Hagedorn. As we take to the roads, rails, and sky this holiday season, it would be well, especially for the ladies and gentlemen in our listening audience, to know the rules of etiquette in order that we may present our best side, not only to strangers, but to relatives and friends who may not have seen us for a while. Our listeners at 1001 Heroes are fully aware that we deal a lot with history here, and all of us know that society and customs have changed a bit in the past 150 years. I thought it might be fun to check out the rules of behavior as they were known in the mid to late 1800s. I'm taking this from a couple of different sources found at Gutenberg.org, one of those being the Gentleman's Book of Etiquette and Manual of Politeness by Cecil B. Hardley. By the way, when you hear hack mentioned, that's not a computer whiz or a political devotee. It's a horse-drawn cab. Our Sherlock Holmes fans know that one hands down. Just a note, we've also added some modern-day airplane etiquette. And now, our story. Sweet Rosie O'Grady, my dear little Rose, she's my steady lady, most everyone knows. First, from the Gentleman's Book of Etiquette and Manual of Politeness, being a complete guide for gentlemen's conduct in all his relations towards society, by Cecil B. Hartley. Introduction Man was not intended to live like a bear or a hermit, apart from others of his own nature, and philosophy and reason will each agree with me that man was born for sociability and finds his true delight in society. Society is a word capable of many meanings and used here in each and all of them. Society, par excellence, the world at large, a little clique to which he is bound by early ties, the companionship of friends or relatives, even society tete-a-tete with one dear sympathizing soul are pleasant states for a man to be in. This society, composed, as it is, of many varying natures and elements, 
where each individual must submit to merge his own identity into the universal whole, which makes the word and state, is divided and subdivided into various cliques, and has a pastime for every disposition, and with each division rises up a new set of forms and ceremonies to be observed if you wish to glide down the current of polite life smoothly and pleasantly. The young man who makes his first entrance into the world of society should know how to choose his friends, and next how to conduct himself towards them. Experience is, of course, the best guide, but at first starting, this must come second-hand, from an older friend, or from books. A judicious friend is the best guide, but how is the young man to know whom to choose? When at home, this friend is easily selected, but in this country, where each bird leaves the parent nest as soon as his wings will bear him safely up, there are but few who stay amongst the friends at home. Remember, however, once a gentleman, always a gentleman, and be sure that you can so carry out the rule, that in your most careless, joyous moments, when freest from restraints of etiquette, you can still be recognizable as a gentleman by every act, word, or look. There is nothing that tests the natural politeness of men and women so thoroughly as traveling. We all desire as much comfort as possible, and as a rule are selfish. In these days of railroad travel, when every railway is equipped with elegant coaches for the comfort, convenience, and sometimes the luxury of its passengers, and provided with gentlemanly conductors and servants, the longest journeys by railroad can be made alone by self-possessed ladies with perfect safety and but little annoyance. Then, too, a lady who deports herself as such may travel from the Atlantic to the Pacific, from Maine to the Gulf of Mexico, and meet with no affront or insult but on the contrary, receive polite attentions at every point, from men who may chance to be her fellow travelers. This may be accounted for from the fact that, as a rule in America, all men show a deferential regard for women, and are especially desirous of showing them such attentions as will render a long and lonesome journey as pleasant as possible. The Duties of an Escort However self-possessed and ladylike in all her deportment and general bearing a lady may be, and though capable of undertaking any journey, however long it may be, an escort is at all times much more pleasant and generally acceptable. When a gentleman undertakes the escort of a lady, he should proceed with her to the depot, or meet her there, a sufficient time before the departure of the train, to attend to the checking of her baggage, procure her ticket, and obtain for her an eligible seat in the cars, allowing her to choose such seat as she desires. He would then dispose of her packages and hand baggage in their proper receptacle, and make her seat and surroundings as agreeable for her as possible, taking a seat near her or by the side of her if she requests it, and do all he can to make her journey a pleasant one. In this country where ladies travel so much alone, a gentleman has many opportunities of making this unprotected state a pleasant one. There are many little courtesies which you may offer to a lady when traveling, even if she is an entire stranger to you and by an air of respectful deference, you may place her entirely at her ease with you, even if you are both young. When traveling with a lady, your duties commence when you are presented to her as an escort. If she is personally a stranger, she will probably meet you at the wharf or car depot, but if an old acquaintance, you should offer to call for her at her residence. Take a hack and call, leaving ample time for last speeches and farewell tears. If she hands you her purse to defray her expenses, return it to her if you stop for any length of time at a place where she may wish to make purchases. If you make no stop upon your journey, keep the purse until you arrive at your destination, and then return it. 
"'If she does not give you the money for her expenses when you start, "'you had best pay them yourself, keeping an account, "'and she will repay you at the journey's end. "'When you start, select for your companion the pleasantest seat. "'See that her shawl and bag are within her reach, "'the window lowered or raised as she may prefer, "'and then leave her to attend to the baggage, "'or, if you prefer, let her remain in the hack "'while you get checks for the trunks. "'Never keep a lady standing upon the wharf or in the depot.' "'whilst you arrange the baggage. "'When you arrive at a station, "'place your lady in a hack while you get the trunks. "'When arriving at a hotel, "'escort your companion to the parlor "'and leave her there whilst you engage rooms. "'As soon as her room is ready, "'escort her to the door and leave her, "'as she will probably wish to change her dress or lie down, "'after the fatigue of traveling. "'If you remain chatting in the parlor, "'although she may be too polite to give any sign of weariness,' You may feel sure she is longing to go to a room where she can bathe her face and smooth her hair. If you remain in the hotel to any meal, ask before you leave her at what hour she wishes to dine, sup, or breakfast, and at that hour knock at her door and escort her to the table. If you remain in the city at which your journey terminates, you should call the day after your arrival upon the companion of your journey. If, previous to that journey, you have never met her, she has the privilege of continuing the acquaintance or not as she pleases. So if all your gallantry is repaid by a cut the next time you meet her, you must submit and hope for better luck next time. In such a case, you are at liberty to decline escorting her again should the request be made. If you're going to travel in other countries, in Europe especially, I would advise you to study the languages before you attempt to go abroad. French is the tongue you will find most useful in Europe, as it is spoken in the courts, and amongst diplomatists, but in order fully to enjoy a visit to any country, you must speak the language of that country. You can then visit in the private houses, see life among the peasantry, go with confidence from village to town, from city to city, learning more of the country in one day from familiar intercourse with the natives than you would learn in a year from guidebooks or the explanations of your courier. Never ridicule or blame any usage which seems to you ludicrous or wrong. You may wound those around you, or you may anger them, and it cannot add to the pleasure of your visit to make yourself unpopular. If in Germany they serve your meat upon marmalade, or your beef raw, or in Italy give you peas in their pods, or in France offer you frog legs or horse steaks, if you cannot eat the strange viands, make no remarks and repress every look or gesture of disgust. Try to adapt your taste to the dishes, and if you find that impossible, Remove those articles you cannot eat from your plate, and make your meal upon the others, but do this silently and quietly, endeavoring not to attract attention. The best travelers are those who can eat cats in China, oil in Greenland, frogs in France, and macaroni in Italy, who can smoke a meerschaum in Germany, ride an elephant in India, shoot partridges in England, and wear a turban in Turkey. In short, in every nation adapt their habits, costume, and taste to the national manners, dress, and dishes. Do not, when abroad, speak continually in praise of your own country, or disparagingly of others. If you find others are interested in gaining information about America, speak candidly and freely of its customs, scenery, or products, but not in any way that will imply a contempt of other countries. To turn up your nose at the Thames because the Mississippi is longer and wider, or to sneer at any object because you have seen its superior at home, is rude, ill-bred, and in excessively bad taste. You will find abroad numerous objects of interest which America cannot parallel, 
and while abroad you will do well to avoid mention of our rivers, our mountains, or our manufactories. You will find ruins in Rome, pictures in Florence, cemeteries in France, and factories in England, which you will take the lead and challenge the world to compete, and you will exhibit a far better spirit if you candidly acknowledge that superiority than if you make absurd and untrue assertions of our power to excel them. If you find fault, do so gently and quietly. If you praise, do so without qualification, sincerely and warmly. With regard to reading, if a gentleman in traveling, either on cars or steamboat, has provided himself with newspapers or other reading, he should offer them to his companions first. If they are refused, he may with propriety read himself, leaving the others free to do the same if they wish. No lady will retain possession of more than her rightful seat in a crowded car. When others are looking for accommodations, she should at once and with all cheerfulness so dispose of her baggage that the seat beside her may be occupied by anyone who desires it, no matter how agreeable it may be to retain possession of it. It shows a great lack of proper manners to see two ladies, or a lady and gentleman, turn over the seat in front of them and fill it with their wraps and bundles, retaining it in spite of the entreating and remonstrating looks of fellow passengers. In such a case, any person who desires a seat is justified in reversing the back, removing the baggage, and taking possession of the unused seat. Discretion in forming acquaintances. While an acquaintance formed in a railway car or on a steamboat continues only during the trip, discretion should be used in making acquaintances. Ladies may, as has been stated, accept small courtesies and favors from strangers, but must check at once any attempt at familiarity. On the other hand, no man who pretends to be a gentleman will attempt any familiarity. The practice of some young girls just entering into womanhood, of flirting with any young man they may chance to meet, either in a railway car or on a steamboat, indicates low breeding in the extreme. If, however, the journey is long, and especially if it be on a steamboat, a certain sociability may be allowed, and a married lady or a lady of middle age may use her privileges to make the journey an enjoyable one, but for fellow passengers should always be sociable to one another. Daisy, Daisy, give me your We're going to take a short break for our advertisers. And now, table etiquette. It may seem a very simple thing to eat your meals, yet there is no occasion upon which the gentleman and the low-bred, vulgar man are more strongly contrasted than when at the table. The rules I shall give for table etiquette when in company will apply equally well for the home circle, with the exception of some few points, readily discernible, which may be omitted at your own table. A well-bred man, receiving an invitation to dine with a friend, should reply to it immediately, whether he accepts or declines it. He should be punctual to the hour named in the invitation, five or ten minutes earlier if convenient, but not one instant later. He must never, unless he has previously asked permission to do so, take with him any friend not named in his invitation. His host and hostess have the privilege of inviting whom they will, and it is an impertinence to force them to extend their hospitality, as they must do if you introduce a friend at their own house. Speak on entering the parlor of your friend first to the hostess, and then to the host. When dinner is announced, the host or hostess will give the signal for leaving the drawing room, and you will probably be requested to escort one of the ladies to the table. Offer to her your left arm, and at the table wait until she is seated. 
"'Indeed, wait until every lady is seated, "'before taking your own place. "'In leaving the parlor you will pass out first, "'and the lady will follow you, still holding your arm. "'At the door of the dining room the lady will drop your arm. "'Pass in, then wait on one side of the entrance "'till she passes you to her place at the table. "'If there are no ladies, "'you may go to the table with any gentleman who stands near you, "'or with whom you may be conversing when dinner is announced.' If your companion is older than yourself, extend to him the same courtesy which you would use towards a lady. There are a thousand little points to be observed in your conduct at table, which, while they are not absolutely necessary, are yet distinctive marks of a well-bred man. If, when at home, you practice habitually the courtesies of the table, they will sit upon you easily when abroad. But if you neglect them at home, you will use them awkwardly when in company, and you will find yourself recognized as a man who has... "'Company manners only when abroad. "'I have seen men who eat soup "'or chewed their food in so noisy a manner "'as to be heard from one end of the table to the other, "'feel their mouths so full of food "'as to threaten suffocation or choking, "'use their own knife for the butter and salt, "'put their fingers in the sugar bowl, "'and commit other faults quite as monstrous, "'yet seem perfectly unconscious "'that they were doing anything wrong to attract attention.' Try to sit easily and gracefully, but at the same time avoid crowding those beside you. Far from eating with avidity of whatever delicacies which may be on the table, and which are often served in small quantities, partake of them but sparingly, and decline them when offered the second time. Many men at their own table have little peculiar notions, which a guest does well to respect. Some will feel hurt, even offended, if you decline a dish which they recommend, while others expect you to eat enormously, "'as if they feared you did not appreciate their hospitality "'unless you tasted of every dish upon the table. "'Try to pay respect to such whims at the table of others, "'but avoid having any such notions "'when presiding over your own board. "'Observe a strict sobriety. "'Never drink of more than one kind of wine, "'and partake of that sparingly. "'The style of serving dinner is different at different houses. "'If there are many servants, "'they will bring you your plate filled, "'and you must keep it. If you have the care of a lady, see that she has what she desires before you give your own order to the waiter. But if there are but few domestics and the dishes are upon the table, you may with perfect propriety help those near you from any dish within your reach. If in the leaves of your salad or in a plate of fruit you find a worm or insect, pass your plate to the waiter without any comment and he will bring you another. Be careful to avoid the extremes of gluttony or over daintiness at table. To eat enormously is disgusting, but if you eat too sparingly, your host may think that you despise his fare. Watch that the lady whom you escorted to the table is well helped. Lift and change your plate for her. Pass her bread, salt, and butter. Give her orders to the waiter, and pay her every attention in your power. Before taking your place at table, wait until your place is pointed out to you, unless there are cards bearing the names of the guests upon the plates. In the latter case, take the place thus marked for you. Put your napkin upon your lap, covering your knees. If it is out of date, and now looked upon as a vulgar habit, to put your napkin up over your breast. Sit neither too near nor too far from the table. Never hitch up your coat sleeves or wristbands as if you are going to wash your hands. Some men do this habitually, but it is a sign of very bad breeding. Never tip your chair or lounge back in it during dinner. All gesticulations are out of place and in bad taste at the table. Avoid making them. Converse in a low tone to your neighbor. 
yet not with any air of secrecy, if others are engaged in tete-a-tete conversation. If, however, the conversation is general, avoid conversing tete-a-tete. Do not raise your voice too much. If you cannot make those at some distance from you hear you when speaking in a moderate tone, confine your remarks to those near you. If you wish for a knife, plate, or anything from the side table, never address those in attendance as waiter, as you would at a hotel or restaurant, but call one of them by name. If you cannot do this, make him a sign without speaking. Never blow on your soup if it is too hot, but wait until it cools. Never raise your plate to your lips, but eat with your spoon. Never touch either your knife or your fork until after you've finished eating your soup. Leave your spoon and your soup plate, that the servant may remove them both. Never take soup twice. In changing your plate or passing it during dinner, remove your knife and fork, that the plate alone may be taken. But after you have finished your dinner, cross the knife and fork on the plate, that the servant may take all away, before bringing you clean ones for dessert. Do not bite your bread from the roll or slice, nor cut it off with your knife. Break off small pieces and put those in your mouth with your fingers. At dinner do not put butter on your bread. Never dip a piece of bread into the gravy or preserves upon your plate and then bite it. But if you wish to eat them together, break the bread into small pieces and carry these to your mouth with your fork. Never use your knife for any purpose but to cut your food. It is not meant to be put in your mouth. Your fork is intended to carry the food from your plate to your mouth, and no gentleman ever eats with his knife. Never speak when you have anything in your mouth. Never pile the food on your plate as if you were starving, but take a little at a time. The dishes will not run away. Never use your own knife and fork to help either yourself or others. There is always one before the dish at every well-served table, and you should use that. It is a good plan to accustom yourself to using your fork with the left hand, when eating, as you thus avoid the awkwardness of constantly passing the fork from your left hand to your right and back again when cutting your food and eating it. Never put fruit or bonbons in your pocket to carry them from the table. Do not cut fruit with a steel knife. Use a silver one. Never eat so fast as to hurry the others at the table, nor so slowly as to keep them waiting. If you do not take wine, never keep the bottle standing before you, but pass it on. If you do take it, pass it on as soon as you've filled your glass. If you wish to remove a fishbone or fruit seed from your mouth, cover your lips with your hand or napkin that others may not see you remove it. Always wipe your mouth before drinking, as nothing is more ill-bred than to grease your glass with your lips. If you're invited to drink with a friend and do not drink wine, bow, raise your glass of water, and drink with him. Do not propose to take wine with your host. It is his privilege to invite you. Never leave the table till the mistress of the house gives the signal. Upon leaving the table, put your napkin on the table, but do not fold it. Offer your arm to the lady whom you escorted to the table. It is excessively rude to leave the house as soon as dinner is over. Respect your hostess obliges you to stay in the drawing room at least an hour. If the ladies withdraw, leaving the gentlemen after dinner, rise when they leave the table and remain standing until they've left the room. However, let us go to dinner, and I will soon tell you whether you are a well-bred man or not, and here let me premise that what is good manners for a small dinner is good manners for a large one, and vice versa. Now, the first thing you do is to sit down. Stop, sir. Pray do not cram yourself into the table in that way. 
"'No, nor sit a yard from it, like that. "'How graceless, inconvenient, and in the way of conversation. "'Why, dear me, you are positively putting your elbows on the table, "'and now you have got your hands fumbling about with the spoons and forks, "'and now you are nearly knocking my new hock glasses over. "'Can't you take your hands down, sir? "'Didn't you learn that in the nursery? "'Didn't your mamma say to you, "'Never put your hands above the table except to carve or eat?' "'Oh, but come, no nonsense. "'Sit up, if you please. "'I can't have your fine head of hair "'forming a side-dish on my table. "'You must not bury your face in the plate. "'You came to show it, and it ought to be alive. "'Well, but there is no occasion "'to throw your head back like that. "'You look like an alderman, sir, after dinner. "'Pray, don't lounge in that sleepy way. "'You are here to eat, drink, and be merry. "'You can sleep when you get home.' "'Etiquette in the Street.' A gentleman will always be polite in the parlor, dining room, and in the street. This last clause will especially include courtesy towards ladies, no matter what may be their age or position. A man who will annoy or insult a woman in the street lowers himself to a brute, no matter whether he offends by look, word, or gesture. There are several little forms of etiquette, given below, the observance of which will mark the gentleman in the street. When walking with a lady, or with a gentleman who is older than yourself, Give them the upper side of the pavement, that is, the side nearest the house or shops. When walking alone, and you see anyone coming towards you on the same side of the street, give the upper part of the pavement, as you turn aside, to a man who may carry a heavy bundle, to a priest or a clergyman, to a woman, or to any elderly person. In a crowd, never rudely push aside those who impede your progress, but wait patiently until the way is clear. If you are hurried by business of importance or an engagement, you will find that a few courteous words will open the way before you more quickly than the most violent pushing and loud talking. In the case of a sudden fall of rain, you may, with perfect propriety, offer your umbrella to a lady who is unprovided with one. If she accepts it, and asks your address to return it, leave it with her. If she hesitates, and does not wish to deprive you of the use of it, you may offer to accompany her to her destination, and then do not open a conversation. Let your manner be respectful." and when you leave her, let her thank you, assure her of the pleasure it has given you to be of service, bow, and leave her. Be gentle, courteous, and kind to children. There is no surer token of a low, vulgar mind than unkindness to little ones whom you may meet in the street. A true gentleman never stops to consider what may be the position of any woman whom it is in his power to aid in the street. He will assist an Irish washerwoman with her large basket or bundle over a crossing, or carry over the little charges of a distressed nurse, with the same gentle courtesy which he would extend toward the lady who is stepping from her private carriage. The true spirit of chivalry makes the courtesy due to the sex, not to the position of the individual. I love you truly, truly dear, life with its sorrow, And I thought you might enjoy this last section from Thrillist, the unwritten rules of flying that you're probably breaking. You want to really know a person? Pay attention to how they act when they fly. Nowhere on the planet, with the exception of Apple stores, packs so many people, packs so many people in so small a space with the potential to act like total jackasses. Yet somehow we manage. In 2016, airlines that served the U.S. carried almost 1 billion passengers, a record high. 
The secret to sloshing a billion people through terminals, security lines, and airplanes without utter chaos breaking out? A complex, unspoken social code nearly everyone observes, much like in restaurants. Most people simply get it. Then there are the nail-clipping, baby-cussing, pajama-wearing, 9-11 joke-making, full bottle of water in the TSA line carrying dumbasses, look around on your next flight and you're sure to spot one, blithely clobbering people with his backpack, unwrapping a hot fish sandwich, and cranking his seat back to full recline the second you hit 10,000 feet. Some transgressions are obvious. Others, ambiguous moral gray zones you yourself have struggled with. Here, we wrote them down. Now you know what all those glares have been trying to tell you. Number one, never ask if you can skip someone in the security line. It's amazing how much better the airport experience is if you're not in a going into labor in the back of the cab-sized hurry. Sure, you could cut it close and run up to the security check sweating, near tears, begging to cut the line. But then you unwittingly force someone into a spiraling moral dilemma. Should they say yes and avoid looking like a total dick, or should they take a stand against you, the inconsiderate screw-up? And do they have the authority to make the call either way? thereby speaking for all the other people in line you'll also be skipping. If you're at the point of panic, get an agent involved. Better yet, be on time. Number two, don't get upset if the TSA agents are rude to you. Think about what they deal with. Despite repeating themselves on a near-constant loop, there are small dipsticks who don't put their laptop in the separate bin. Who half-assedly push their bag through the line with their foot, while watching Hulu on their phone, and then act surprised they have to take their shoes off. The only thing more amateur? Taking umbrage against a rude agent who is just doing his or her job. Number three, don't cause a traffic jam at security check. Don't leave, like, 20 bins of your personal belongings sitting on the edge of the conveyor belt for the poor schmuck behind you to push through while you la-di-da up to the body scanner. Four, don't ask a stranger to watch your stuff. Got a pee? Run to Starbucks? Take your stuff with you. You seem very nice, but regretfully I cannot accept responsibility of your personal items. Good Lord, I barely got myself here at all. What if my name gets called? What if we start boarding? Also, I don't know if you've heard, but there's this thing they repeatedly announced over your loudspeaker. What was it? Oh, yes. Don't watch strangers' stuff when they leave it. Five, don't treat the terminal like your living room. Presumably due to magic in the air magic being shorthand for jet fumes, the terminal turns people into remarkable multitaskers. Where else can somebody manage to loudly FaceTime their uncle on speaker while removing their shoes, eating a 12-piece bucket of KFC, letting a therapy dog crap on the carpet, taking up every single plug with a 10-foot radius, and systematically unpacking and repacking their overstuffed carry-on bag in the middle of the floor? This is not your living room. Keep quiet, be courteous, and try not to air out your feet. Six, you can't get mad if someone cuts you during boarding. Accept the boarding process as an absurdist attempt to bring order to chaos and just go with it. Time is a flat circle and we're all going to Louisville at the same speed. Seven, don't be a dick to flight attendants. Flight attendants possess a near superheroic ability to maintain a smile while row after row of adults transforms into entitled toddlers once they hit the stratosphere. Every time they begin their cabin service, they experience nearly every single example of terrible behavior on this list, in addition to trashed bathrooms and everything in between. They help people with their luggage. They show you your seat when you forget how numbers work. All with a smile. 
Their job is hard as hell. And if you're the type of person who immediately thinks, big deal, so is mine, you're part of the reason those smiles sometimes look strained. 8. No hot food of any kind on the plane. Especially if it's from a fast food joint that has a highly identifiable smell. There's nothing more atrocious than the trapped odors of grease and meat on a plane. Worse than snakes, even. 9. If you can't lift your own bag, don't carry it on. Once I was cozying up in the aisle seat, and a hard-top Samsonite someone was feebly attempting to hoist into the overhead bin landed on the flat of my head, prompting the anxious soul next to me to remark on the near certainty of my death had I been elderly or a child. Said soul then insisted I remain awake for the duration of the flight, for fear I would die from brain bleeding while pressing a soggy Ziploc bag of ice to my head. Not great. Next, be a decent person about swapping seats. You are morally obligated to offer to switch seats so someone can sit next to the child, elderly, or sick person in their accompaniment. You might also be required to do so by airline policy. Otherwise, you have the right to refuse the request. Their honeymoon be damned. 12. Don't recline in economy. Look, we know that the debate about this topic constantly bubbles up in the national discourse whenever some idiot gets recorded throwing a temper tantrum over a reclined seat. To be clear, we don't condone crappy behavior or in-flight abuse. That said, while there are many pros and cons to weigh, we stand firmly in the don't recline camp when it comes to domestic flights, unless it's a red-eye or a long-haul flight when sleeping is encouraged. The amount of extra comfort you gain is nothing compared to the chain reaction of pain you've just set off behind you, in which every other passenger in your path is consigned to a modified form of the trolley problem whereby they can either subject themselves and possibly the person next to them to hours of discomfort by doing nothing, or continue the chain reaction by reclining their own seat to gain a little room. If you have the world's most specific back problem and must sit at precisely a 110-degree angle, then turn around, ask the person behind you if this is okay, and give them time to arrange their laptop, knees, and soul for whatever you're about to inflict. Next one, headphones mean do not disturb. This is one of the most obvious rules of all, and yet 50% of your seat buddies are all but guaranteed to see the presence of headphones as a sign that you really, really want to talk to them about what their kids are up to, or what music you're listening to. If you see somebody with headphones on, the only thing you should be saying to them is, excuse me, when you get up. 14. No touching. I know it's a tight squeeze, but we haven't reached New York City subway at rush hour levels yet. Oblivious middle-aged man in the middle seat who seems to think that resting your knee against my knee or lightly brushing elbows over and over again isn't an obnoxious intrusion of personal space. 15. Middle seat gets the armrest, always and without question. The unlucky bastard in the middle seat has one thing going for them, sole ownership of the middle armrest. At best, you can maybe sort of lean your elbow on the tiny edge of the armrest. What if they aren't using it? Can I use it then? No. You audacious, privileged monster. Go back to enjoying your window and or breathing room. 16. You are allowed to say something to a parent if their kid is being obnoxious. But you're not allowed to be a dick about a screaming baby, because that baby is a baby, and hushing it up is a no-cakewalk. But parents, if you don't intervene when your sugar-high five-year-old goes to town kicking my seat, don't be aghast when I turn around and do it for you. 17. You are still responsible for yourself when you're asleep. Someone once woke me up to inform me the drink cart was coming by. Not okay. 
"'the only time it's acceptable to wake your neighbor, "'besides having to pee, "'is when they've lost control of their basic faculties. "'No snoring so loudly people around you are snickering. "'No spilling over the sacred divide of the armrest between us "'and nestling your head on my shoulder. Eighteen, stand up to let people out of the row. "'None of this half-standing-up stuff "'where you force people to awkwardly crawl their way past your legs, "'trying as hard as possible not to touch your body.' "'Stand up like a decent person and step out into the aisle. "'If you're wearing a backpack while boarding, "'take it off and carry it by your side or snugly in front of you, "'lest both your butt and your backpack smack into someone's head "'the moment you turn around. "'You may not rush to the front and cut people off "'when you're getting off the plane. "'When the seatbelt sign turns off, "'there's always that scumbag in the back "'who attempts to charge his way up to wherever his carry-on is stowed.' or the scumbag who only has a backpack who tries to book it to the front. You wait, you file out, in order. Sole exception, asking politely if you can go ahead because you have a connecting flight. We hope you enjoyed some of these tips, both gentlemanly tips and current day tips on flying. We also hope that you enjoy your travels this holiday season and enjoy any spare time you have by listening to our 1001 podcast. Of course, this one is called 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. I'm going to mention a few others now that you really should give a try. The first is 1001 Classic Short Stories. That is one of our most popular podcasts. We release new short stories every Wednesday and Sunday night now at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Some of the authors we brought on recently, Guy de Maupassant, O. Henry, Rudyard Kipling, and many others. In fact, we've got 330 stories out there right now for you to enjoy. And that's 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. Then there's our brand new 1001's Best of Jack London. And that's exactly what it says it is. For Jack London fans, his adventure stories are great. And I highly recommend you give that one a try. That's 1001's Best of Jack London. Then there's 1001 Stories for the Road. That's where we do our long format stories. Right now we're doing A Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, which is a great story by Mark Twain. And you can go back to the archives there and really catch some wonderful stories, like Treasure Island. The Secret Adversary by Agatha Christie, The Hound of the Baskervilles by Arthur Conan Doyle, Tarzan of the Apes, King Solomon's Mine, and many, many others. Again, that's 1001 Stories for the Road. Then there's 1001 Sherlock Holmes Stories. I'd say that one gets more reviews than any of our shows. We have all 52 of the original Sherlock Holmes stories. We've got a lot of Arthur Conan Doyle's writings there, and we've also just started the old radio program, of the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes, so there's a lot to enjoy there. That's 1001 Sherlock Holmes stories. Then there's 1001 Radio Days, and that's just like it sounds. It covers a lot of the radio programs from the 1940s and 50s, especially the 50s, and we do tend to concentrate on the detective shows. But you'll find a lot there. During this Christmas season, for instance, you'll find some great Bob Hope Christmas specials, because Bob Hope did a lot of work for over four decades with the military, especially around Christmas. And you'll find some very entertaining radio shows there. That's 1001 Radio Days. Another one called 1001 Greatest Love Stories. And right now you'll find The Sun Also Rises there, which we're about three-quarters of the way into. Fantastic story by Hemingway. Also there at 1001 Greatest Love Stories, you'll find the Anne of Green Gables series. And a lot of really entertaining short stories and novels. Give that one a try. That's 1001 Greatest Love Stories. Well, happy holidays, all. And we'll be back next week, Sunday night, with a brand new story at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries.
Happy holidays.